1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode eighty-two of Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate how everything—I mean, absolutely everything—even the most unexpected of subjects has a history, like pigeons, pomegranates, and pounds. Or, courtesy of Ben Casey on Twitter, thank you,
0: Ben. You uh, soap. Yeah, soap's soap. A good one. Uh, I think we should do soap, shampoo, showers, bath, bathing, water, dirt. And of course, we've already done sweat. Mm, we have done history of sweat we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them explaining how everything how simply everything links together in unexpected ways who knew for example sam who knew that the history of print the history of print is all about power permanency Politics, poetry, plasterwork, and passion. It's the peas. I'm thinking there of the history of Mills and Boone Okay, that's good. Uh, novels. Or that the history of lines, yeah. and I'm not being alliterative here, is about empire, territory, safety, rules and regulations, and well-being. Oh,
1: that's It's all nice. about
0: taking a line for a walk and then colouring it in afterwards.
1: I'm thinking those, those adult colouring books that are supposed to be relaxing. A friend of mine's just doing an adult dot-to-dot book. Oh, what on? It's called Join the Fucking Dots. <laughs> <laughs> it's about Brexit. It's a satirical oh, one. It's no. going to be absolutely brilliant. I bet it you is. Should everyone look out for that? So it's did funny you, pictures. but it's, it's for adults, but it's dot-to-dot mindfulness. But Join it's, the effing dots. It's also funny. I bet it is. Um, I bet it is funny. Did you know that pomegranates are all about armour? Uh, No, I didn't. Oh, Henry VIII. Catherine of Aragon. Oh, well, I should know that, being a prof of Tudor history and all. You don't know everything. everything. So, um, yeah, Catherine of Aragon, she had um, her... her Symbol or sign or something was, was, po- was pomegranates. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, so Henry has it all, um, all over the place. C- covered in covered in pomegranates for, uh, for the marriage, which he probably sacked off and binned when he married Anne Boleyn. <laughs> <laughs> um, the man sitting opposite me is the Elvis Presley of priest holes. <laughs> It's uh, Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell.
0: Thank you, sir. Do you know, for a long time, people thought that I... When I was much younger, people thought that I looked like a young Elvis. <laughs> I can it's, see the, that. It's the side. I can see that. It's the sideboards yeah. that I've <laughs> The man sitting opposite me is... And I've got lots to choose from here. Is the Bismarck of battles gone by. I'm talking about the Bismarck today. You're not. I am, so that's a really oh, good, good to one. Well, I had no idea.
1: Huh. It's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam... Fabulous Willis! Hello, everyone. Welcome back from China, Sam. We're quite excited because we're going to be doing something um, which it, we quite like doing relevant things, don't we? Sort and, of sometimes. Um, and it's the royal wedding that's made us think about stuff. Isn't it, it is. It is. And because you missed the royal wedding for the rugby, uh, yeah. so I brought you a little memento <laughs> of the royal wedding. Of the,
0: the royal wedding. Where did you? Um, what, what does that these are, mean? These are from our local waitros. They are cupcakes <laughs> with flags on, courtesy of my daughters. Uh, we told them that the the royal chefs had prepared them. So you um,
1: what you bought these from a supermarket?
0: Are special royal wedding? And lied cakes? to my daughters, saying see, that the see. royal chefs had. There, one for you. You oh, can have the you. one that hasn't been mangled. But we're not doing cakes, are we? We're not. But uh, but it's about weddings. We, it is. Um, wed- well, it's
1: not about royal weddings. It's about um. It's about celebrating them yeah. by 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 what? Ringing bells. We are doing the history bells. of bells, um, because um, I read something which said that some local parish churches, I can't remember where it was now, were ringing their bells um, in celebration of the royal wedding. Which, I Ockley I was thinking. bells ring out in Ockley f- for royal wedding. Where's Ockley? Otsley. Otsley. Oh, I don't know where that is either. <laughs> sorry, sorry, folks. In, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, folks. It's not in, in Devon, I we don't know. Think. Is it in Devon? Um, let's find out. Ockley. I, sorry, Ockley, we should have done our homework and... West Yorkshire. West Yorkshire. I yep. grew up I grew up in Yorkshire. Ah, not near Otley. Not near Otley. Look, okay, so the, the folks of Otley have been ringing their church bells in celebration of the royal wedding, which has got us thinking about the use of bells for communication. Um so it is it's the history of bells, but it's not necessarily, we're not in the history of manufacturing bells, we're doing the kind of the history of
0: nor of, of campanology. Fascinating though though that is. What's campanology? Campanology is bell ringing. Uh, oh, okay. and you could do a you could do a sort of an anorak episode yeah on bell ringing you and it's, and it's history okay and all the sort of technical terms and there are people do you mean church bells all around in... the
1: all around the country church but well, well the, the people who well, do the pe- ring. the
0: people who do the ringing right, church okay. bells but also handbells
1: yeah but we're particularly I think interested in the use of it to tra- transmit messages we may be yeah, we, something may, else. we may be I love handbells because they're um they're one of those wonderfully sort of um democratic instruments anyone can do it as long as you've got mean, a bit as long yeah, as you've got a bit of a bit of um rhythm. Rhythm and timing and, and you can respond and do something if someone points at you, which I really like. And you've got a you've got a bell in each hand, right? So someone goes left hand, right hand, bong bong. So yes, bell ring is one of those wonderful things. You can actually make really fun music and anyone can do it. You don't need to, to sort of train for years. It's 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 the opposite of a harp. I bet bell ringers <laughs> though would would be up in arms about that. I bet they I bet it is mm. a
0: really prized technique. So it's not sort of simply somebody, it's not like a triangle where you... you it's exactly of, like you, a triangle, you, you just bong you, it. You hold it and hit it. Disagree. And no, you can I, do anything. I'm sure, but I'm sure it's about the rhythm and the syncopation and yeah. all that sort of yeah. jazz. Yeah. I imagine. Bell ringing jazz. I imagine. Well, um, do you have a bell that we could try? Hmm. No. For your many
1: servants.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, that's another way we could go. We could go, you know, ringing of the bell for service or you see those old hotels. Oh, they're so cool. Or old old houses that yep. have the sort of series of bells for mm. the different rooms and the different servants that they're calling. I wonder is there one at
1: Powderham? You spend a there time is. I, I
0: am at Powderham at the moment. I oh, was going to okay. talk about that. Take
1: a photo later on. Us. Is I it will. kind of a board down in the in the servants' hall yes. that you ring it and it it's tells in, you? It's in
0: the hallway, so you can see it. It's not used, but it's still, but it's very much still there. So that's
1: Powderham Castle in Devon. That's uh, interesting. So I was. Um, I've always one of the interesting things we've been thinking about is people's reaction to bells whether it, they, they mm. enjoy the peel, peeling of bells you know this this whole historical soundscape um and I I've, I've kind of assumed either, either you do one one of two things either like, oh what a, what a wonderful noise and people are celebrating let's all go and go and, and worship um but there's also the people who get seriously cross that the catholics or the protestants whoever it is are making an enormous racket again
0: subversive
1: bells subversive bells, <laughs> subversive bells. and but the here with the servants, you can really imagine someone, you know, rolling their eyes, or you know, oh raising like God. God, he wants me again. His lordship <laughs> wants another cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, I've got to go back <laughs> up to the top. I've got to I'll walk. put off. sleeping powder in it, so he <laughs> won't disturb me for yeah. a while. So, um, I don't know, that just really kind of opened up a, a little window into history. And in also, me. also, you could you could do a chronology of the history of bells. How so? Bell use. Um, let me
0: just swirl this around in my brain. You could think about starting off with um, medieval bells that are. Almost entirely uh, sacred. Yeah. So the use of sacred bells, and then you think about the attack on bells in the Reformation, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, and then the the sort of um, secularization of bells. So bells are used for um, warning; they're used for celebration, yeah. which then merges into bells as entertainment, which yeah. is what you were you were talking about. So we could
1: think about it in yeah. in then, that, that sort of way. That, let's go back to the Otley example. So the, yeah. these are people who are demonstrating their uh, support joy. Of, and joy of the Royal Wedding by filling the air with the sound of peeling yes. bells in Yorkshire because they were so far away. We haven't talked about the Royal Wedding because okay. you haven't
0: seen it. Did it just completely pass you by? Yeah. I became totally... So I was
1: I was, um, I was, was in China for the two weeks beforehand, so the build-up completely passed me by. Right. And then uh, there was a very important rugby match on. <laughs> <laughs> with the result of which was... Uh, a, a significant exit of victory. Oh. The, over, the over the Geordies from, oh. from Newcastle, which was good, but I, I missed it because I was oh. a bit focused on that. Okay. <clears throat> oh, I just
0: became so obsessed with the royal wedding. I could. Mm. I was literally just stuck on the sofa, just <laughs> glued to it. Dan uh, Snow was there in the and and one of my favourite bits was seeing him um, giving a history lesson to George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> good. In the Chapel Royal, Very which was excellent, but I was obsessed. I watched Suits for series and series, and Meghan Markle was on Suits. Right.
1: So, so I was, I was slightly. I was
0: more interested in that and the Suits cast who were in the audience. Hmm. Yes. Um, I'll stop talking about that and
1: we can talk about Bells. Where are you going to take us with Bells? I was going to. Go to sea, as always, with me, because that's basically where we always end up. Maritime bells. <laughs> Maritime bells are fantastic. And they're absolutely fascinating. So so they are used for a couple of things, one of which is for keeping time, but in a slightly different way. Um, so if it's okay. four o'clock in the afternoon, yep. it's 11.35 in the morning now, you don't ring the bells 11 times for 11 o'clock. So it's all linked to the watch system. Mm. The watch system... Uh, was invented to allow people to change up who who is working the ship after about four hours so you have a system of watches which runs um, during the day. The first watch is from eight p m until midnight. second one is the middle watch from midnight till four a m Then you have the morning watch from four a m to uh, eight. Then the forenoon watch. So at the moment, we're in the middle of the forenoon watch, which would be 8 till 12. Then an afternoon, 12 to 4. Then then it's split. So those are all four-hour watches. okay? Yeah. And they're split. Then you have something called a dog watch, which is a two-hour watch from 6 till 8. The dog's in charge of the bell. <laughs> then another one from 8 till 2. And those dog watches allows the whole system to move around, which means that if you were doing the 4 a.m. Uh, till 8 a.m. watch one night, then it changes you don't have to do it the next night. Hmm. Now basically what what's important about this is that the whole structure of ship's time is revolved around these 4-hour segments it's not to do with the time of day because no one knows when the time of day is especially in the 18th century so the time of day comes when 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 they measure noon Mm. And so the exact moment of noon happens when the guy gets a sextant out and measures the angle of the sun in relation to the horizon at roughly noon. So it's a a kind of a different thing. It's to do with hourglasses. You have an hourglass which measures half an hour. After every half an hour of those four-hour watches, a bell rings. So the maximum for a four-hour watch is eight bells. So the last time it rings is for the last half an hour. That's for eight bells. And the first time it rings is after the first half an hour, and that's the first bell. So I think you've lost me. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's surprisingly simple, but also surprisingly confusing. Now it is eleven thirty. We'd be in the forenoon watch. So that's three and a half hours into the forenoon watch, which began at eight this morning. So at eight thirty, there would have been one bell rung. Okay. Yes. At nine, there would have been two bells rung. Okay. At nine thirty, there would have been three bells rung. At 10 o'clock, there would have been four bells rung. And then they go back to one bell. No, you keep going because that's only two hours, okay? So it's a four-hour watch. Right. Okay, so 10.30, another bell rung. And then at 11 o'clock, there would have been one rung. So you'd have had six bells... And 11.30 is just gone, so that would have been seven bells. And then the last one will be, at noon, 12 bells. 12, Sorry, eight, 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 eight bells. Eight bells. Eight bells. It's eight bells. So See, It's very difficult to understand. It, it's a very, very complex system. Um, but that's how it worked for years and years and years. It often still is on ships. So one of the interesting ways of looking at the histories of bells is to do with telling of the time, but not necessarily in the way you might suspect so we're thinking there about the, we're thinking about
0: church bells as as sort of timekeepers are yes. ringing out i mean i can think also very closely related to that is bells and social order mm. so reg- regulation and if you think about the different areas where you might have bells being used think about school bells mm-hmm. as i drop my kids off at school the bell in the morning it's it's an old fashioned hand bell that is you. That is rung in the playground to take the kids in, and the bell used to um, start the day, end the day, but also to um, punctuate all the different lessons. Yeah. Uh, when I taught at a university in the U.S., we had an electric bell oh. that rang, you know, rang throughout the day. And I think you know, well, lots, you, lots of schools. Universities
1: weird, isn't it?
0: Yes, I mean it was really it was really odd, but it's but it's a big state university, lots of classrooms, and bells ring so that you you know, no to go to the next the next yeah. lecture. Uh, but you also think about it in um, monasteries, you know, and it's the call for prayer. So bells at different times throughout the day calling you to prayer. Or I think about its use in prisons, mm-hmm. um, where the bells used to, um, basically used to wake people up in the morning. So Pentonville, in the mid-19th century, a bell would be rung at 620 to warn you that in 10 minutes time you were going to have to get up and then at six thirty the bell would go you got up got dressed did all your sort of tidying of everything away everything was checked and then you would go through and you would be on the sort of treadmill so this is a sort of forced hard labor you know the kind of thing that um yeah. that oscar wilde did and i've there... been reading
1: about that recently oh so, have you yeah the paddle Right, the um, which is this, this kind of crazy box, yes, with a with with a paddle in it, which moved yes. through sand, right? And they just had to turn yes. it
0: like thirty thousand yes, times a that's day. Yes, that's it. And and there was a bell that cho- that to- taught you the sort of that told you when you'd finished a particular number of revolutions. You could mm-hmm. go round it. I think it went round um, twice every minute, mm-hmm. and then you were supposed to do thirty revolutions, which would be quarter of an hour, and then at the completion of that, a bell would sound and then you would sort of have a little break and then you'd be on the treadmill again, mm-hmm. you know, and, and literally, I mean, the descriptions of people who, you know, endured this, you know, absolutely broken,
1: you know, you imagine six months, yeah. hard labor doing that. Yeah. I mean, they used to pick up cannonballs incredible. as well. Um, one of the things, so, so you, um, there was, a, there was called the cannonball drill. Uh, and you'd go into a yard. I don't know if this was just military prisoners, hmm. um, but you'd go into a yard, and you'd uh, there'd be a pile of cannonballs, right? And you have to move them to the other side of the yard, okay? But the the, the killer is here is that you weren't allowed to bend your legs. Oh, yeah. It's actually God. designed to cripple you, so oh, you had to so bend. So you had to stand upright with straight legs, bend from the waist, pick up your cannonball, carry it, drop it. Bending from the waist and then go back. Any again. good physio- physiotherapist would tell you that's bad for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and
0: I am somebody who suffers
1: yeah. with lower oh, back trouble. I saw. Oh, I saw. I saw, I saw. I was reading through a. a um, oh, actually, I've got no idea now. I just know I've got this vision of it. It might, but it's a picture of a very miserable person um, who who had been drawn in this is this position, um, bending down and picking up cannonballs. Gone a long way from bells. Who knew bells are all about cannonballs? But they are. Be- quite be- bells
0: are also all about World War Two. Hmm. So during World War Two, um, for much of World War Two, uh, bell ringing was banned. Was it? Yes, it was banned because not because um, you didn't want the Germans to hear that you you know where populations were, yeah. but it was basically in case of an invasion, um, the bells would be rung. Right. To wa- so it's a warning sound. So they weren't. Um, so you they can't weren't, cry wolf. Basically. So they weren't. Yes, exactly. So they weren't. They were used for for warning. But there are. Signs that sort of partway through the war, once they find that the once it's realised that the Germans aren't going to invade, people start um, ringing them, and you see some some there are some notices that survive that sort of there are notices about banning of the ringing of bells, and then notices about about certain churches being allowed to ring bells. Um, so if we have a look here, what have I got? The in, um, so the the war was declared the third of September. Uh, 1939. The last annual general, general meeting of the Halzoan Parish Church, this is in the West Midlands, um, the Parish Church Change Ringing Society was held on the 23rd of January 1940. And the Secretary added the following item in the minutes. On June 13th 1940, the order was given out on the wireless of so the radio that church and chapel bells must not be rung except for air raids. And then there's a description... In, on, a, on a website called World War II People's War. And this is a fantastic project, oral history project by the BBC, mm-hmm. to basically capture oral histories of everyday life during World War Two. And there is something about World War bell ringing. And it was left by, contributed on the 8th of November 2003, by a Mr. B. Shellock from Old Isleworth, and he writes, "I was ten years old in 1939, ringing at St. at All Saints, Old Isleworth, on the treble bell, standing on a box made by the carpenter, the tenor ringer. During the war, when full sound ringing was not allowed, the clappers were roped in so that the ringers could continue practice. On New Year's Eve, I believe the tenor was allowed to sound the twelve strokes of midnight. They also used handbells for practicing." Before the war I rang at St Paul's and after the war my team was invited back to ring the victory bells over a period after VE day. Hmm. So you can see how that continues to practice. There's another way of thinking about bell use during World War II and that is to look at what the Nazis did with bells. And the Nazis confiscated bells. Did they? And as they, they invaded some crazy stuff. as they invaded and into different kinds of territory they seized the bells because they wanted them. To melt them down and use for munitions in the war effort. Huh. What's really interesting is the way in which Vichy France was allowed out of this. So it tell, tells you something about the sort of the different sort of political, you know, power within those sort of different territories. But places like Poland, places like um, Holland, who were invaded, had all the bells were sort of were confiscated. They reckon that a hundred and fifty thousand bells. Were confiscated and melted down during that period, and we're talking here about twelfth century through to the twentieth century. You imagine the number of bells that we've lost, the so medieval bells yeah. that we've lost, um, and this was a tradition that I mean Napoleon did this, as so well. So
1: did Henry the Yeah, um, he he took the bells from the monasteries through the Reformation, yes, and um, yes, and so if you go to somewhere like the Mary Rose, where you've yes. got a load of bronze cannon. Um, you know, oh, they're made out of the what we we don't know, but we do know that a lot of the, the yeah. bronze was used, and that's it's one of the things that, that that they used it for. Yeah, I didn't know that about the Second World War. Yes, fascinating, fascinating. it is. I said that it before. is. You did, you did. <laughs> Should we take a break for adverts?
0: So Napoleon also did that. Not just Henry VIII, not just the Nazis, but Napoleon seized bells, and he took them from villages that he would captured. And then when he left, he would try and sell them back. Hmm. And it was a way of sort of supplementing his, his war coffers, so of making money out of people. So where are you going to go with bells next?
1: Um, Back to the sea, of back course. Back to the sea. Back to the sea. There's so much you can do about what, the sea and bells. Warning bells, I imagine. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Well, yes, warning and fog. So communication yes. at sea. Uh, one of the big problems, of course, is if you're sailing in a ship and you are beset by fog and you can't see all of the other ships in the fleet and you need That's to what... not crash into each other. They used to ring bells and um, uh, uh, light uh, kind of lanterns and things and make yep. other other kind of noises hitting things mm. and firing off cannons. So... Would lighthouses have had bells Ooh. attached to them more? That's putting you on the spot, isn't it? <sighs> I don't know. Um wouldn't surprise me. Certainly... Boys, which yes, been that's what I
0: was thinking. Yes, in. so
1: navigation aids and markers have yes. bells on them. And you get that very sort of haunting. Bong. There's, that,
0: there's that, uh, that opening scene in Jaws,
1: isn't it? When one of the
0: Jaws movies, yes, yeah, yeah, where yeah, the yeah. swimmer is out and gets onto the the boy. Yeah,
1: Jaws is a good one. So the the sounds of bells used for navigation and for warnings. Very important. No, I was going for the ship's bell itself. So we've talked Ooh, about the bell being rung. Nice um, to mark different times of the day and so how people count in terms of four bells or five bells rather than half past yep. ten, eleven o'clock. But there's this whole thing about the identification of a ship with its bell. So so the bells often had the ship's name marked on them, which means that they've become almost like a kind of sacred relic of the ship, Lovely. particularly with shipwrecks. And there's always a big thing when a bell has been found. What the, the practical point about this, though, is that it's often the only way you can positively identify a wreck. So you can find a wreck... You don't know what it is. You don't know what ship it is. You've right. got, to, you got to have some kind of rough idea where it is. But but it, often you need a ship that says, this is HMS. So it's Good. like the signature of the, the signature. Yeah, so it proves ship. it. Mm. Um, now, there, there are some which people are very excited about finding. The uh, wreck of HMS Association from 1707. It's this wreck in which Clownsley Shovel died. It le- led to the um, English government wanting to spend more money on creating a longitude prize and solving the problems of longitude because this this is an English fleet coming back from Spain during the War of the Spanish Succession, and they smash into um, a load of rocks off the Siliars. It's not that they didn't know they were there. They didn't know where they were. Yeah. they didn't know the rocks were there. They knew the rocks were there, but they thought they were somewhere else. So there was a, it's a fundamental navigational problem, and it took um, four massive warships and and hundreds of men to die. Mm. But they found the the bell of HMS Association. It's in fragments, which is interesting, um, and it was recently uncovered in a private collection in America. Um, There's a brief article on it on the Navy Records Society online magazine. Have a look at navyrecords.org.uk, which is uh, a a fabulous thing. It is a fabulous thing. Yeah, Um, And we've got a picture of the bell from the private collection. And I'm actually quite keen on helping the Navy Records Society create a online kind of resource collection for all of the artifacts which have been discovered from the... Great Storm of 1707 and the Scilly Isles. It's really important because once the wrecks were discovered, they were looted. It was before; it actually led to a complete change in the law of, of, of protection of wrecks. Hmm. So these amazing artifacts, hundreds of things were found, were, were exchanged for beer money in pubs in the Isles of Scilly, uh, and they've all kind of vanished now. Um, there were two major um, sales as well at Sotheby's and Bonhams in the sixties. Uh, which then you just don't do that now because no. wrecks are protected yep. but they weren't at the time they discovered it. So there's a load of stuff out there, but no one knows where it is and everyone's quite hush-hush about it, particularly on the Silly Isles. So if you're listening on the Silly Isles, can you please tell everyone to take a photo of their artefacts relating to HMS Association or the Firebrand or the Eagle, any of the other ships that went down, and just get in touch with the Navy Records Society so we at least have a record do of Do you have a there. website? Yes, www.navyrecords.org.uk. Is there an email? Contact details will be there, will they? Uh, yes. Um, just Yes, the, uh, there's a there's a contact us page. Brilliant. But I think that would be a Brilliant. Fun thing to do. Anyway, so you've got the, the bell of HMS Association. That yep. was a really significant discovery to prove that you have the wreck of HMS Association. They also found lots of plates with Sir Clowsley Shovel's coat of arms on that helped them identify it. Uh, they most recently have discovered the bell of HMS Hood. Ah. which was sunk by the Bismarck in 1940 that that's your Bismarck connection it is my bismarck connection and what's really good about it I'm just gonna pause while I wrote I load this here we go um oh not the sound of it I have the sound of the bell they rang it they, they've um listen to this guys it still works. So that is That wasn't the bell that last bit. That was no, that was a shouting man. Um <laughs> as you man. the Navy. That's HMS Hood's bell um being rung again. Now it's been preserved and it's raised. so that that's wonderful and everyone's very excited about it. They actually mm. did so they knew the wreck was there in the Denmark Strait, um, between Iceland and Greenland. And then they went back to go and specifically to go and get the bell. So they've got the bell and it's it's one of these these sort of examples of almost like the ship's identity being um imbued into an object Mm. another example of it of of, of this whole bell business is the one from the queen anne's revenge does that ring a bell Uh, pardon the pun it doesn't ring a bell that bell the uh, the queen anne's revenge was blackbeard's ship so the wreck of that they think they found in north carolina Of course, of <laughs> course. Because it, it'd be quite a good thing if they found Blackbeard's ship. Yes. So you could get an awful lot of money um, out of kind of like making TV yes. programs and yes. writing books and, and having a little museum. T- tourism. But, but hilariously, they've, there's no proof that it is the Queen Anne's Revenge. They've got nothing that positively identifies it as a Queen Anne's Revenge. What they do have... Um, I am just saying here, this is where the wreck was found in the Beaufort Inlet in North Carolina, is they have a ship's bell, but it doesn't say Queen Anne's Revenge on it. Now, in a cunning piece of of logic... Acme bells. <laughs> um, it's a Spanish bell with a Catholic inscription on it. It's got IHS, which is Jesus Hominem Salvatore Maria, 1705. Um, and it has been argued that this was a Spanish ship which Blackbeard captured okay. before he was... Uh, but killed at Beaufort Inlet in 1718. That sounds like a good argument to me. Well, the the, the more obvious argument, argument is that it's actually the wreck of a Spanish this ship is Spanish. called the Maria. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I Brilliant. think. <laughs> and they found a bit of gold on it, and so yeah, he,
0: maybe he captured it and, and then other a you know, stuff. Shavings of black beard on it. <laughs> it um, sounds
1: good. It does sound good. Uh, having having a, a bronze Catholic bell is an interesting thing for a Protestant English pirate to yes. have. So bells are all about piracy. Bells are about piracy and they're they're all about um ship identification. You know the the ship you know identity.
0: That. Now, Sam, of course, you know that the history of bells is in fact all about the Reformation, <laughs> as as so many things are, and I haven't talked about the Reformation for a long time. But we have both been reading a fascinating PhD thesis. Robert Hill's The Reformation of the Bells in Early Modern England. Simon Fraser University 2012. If you Google this up, you can get a PDF of it. And it is it's it's good. It's fascinating. Um, although I must admit, it does surprise me sometimes that American PhDs are a lot thinner, American history PhDs are a lot thinner than British ones. Hmm. Have you noticed that? What do you mean in content? In content, they because they the PhD in the UK is a three or four-year dedicated time to spend writing a Thesis. Yeah. Uh, whereas in America the system is that you have classes and readings, and then before you actually embark upon writing the right, okay. PhD, so it means less. There's less time. Anyway, that's to sort of get beyond the what, relevance what of what he we're talking say, about. Then? Well, I mean, I think the what's really interesting is the way in which the Reformation, so the reformers, Protestant reformers, attacked bells, and this is related to the importance of bells in the medieval world and the medieval church. And they are part and parcel of a whole range of religious rituals and sacraments. Um, Chiefly, they are part of the Eucharist. So the Eucharist is the sort of receiving of the body and blood of of Christ. And the sacring bell was rung when you sort of elevated the host. And it's all to do with the doctrine of transubstantiation, when literally the bread and wine was turned into mm-hmm. the body and blood of Christ. So, so it, that some, whole ritual has sort this of very, has, has, a, has a it has a it has a sort of it has the bell sound associated with it. Yeah. So bells for Protestant reformers are seen to be um are seen to be superstitious. So there's a, a sort of an attempt to get rid of that. It's also associated with death and oh. dying, um and with intercession. So bells are rung um, when people are, are dying in order to sort of try and get intercession from um, the saints. Mm-hmm. They're, su- they're, they're also rung at particular periods of time afterwards, so on anniversaries of death. and all of that is associated with the doctrine of purgatory. So purgatory is when you when you die instead of going to heaven or hell in a sort of in a sort of Protestant theology. Um, so you are elect so you are born predestination is all about being being born and you are whatever you do on earth you're already predestined to go to heaven or hell in catholic theology you have a sort of clearing house which is purgatory um, so you go to purgatory, you you know you you atone for your sins, and then you you know you either you either go to heaven or or you descend into into hell. So the idea of of intercession and saints uh, and the ringing of bells is all associated with pass with with that sort of passage. Um, and this is something again that the reformers attack. Um, so they attack all those sort of the use of bells uh, around death. So what we see is. Ringing of bells continues in Henry VIII's reign, but when the boy king Edward VI comes to the throne, there are attempts made to attack bellew. So the sacring bell goes. The bell that is associated with uh, death and dying and the veneration of saints uh, goes as well. Um, so, there are these royal injunctions, which are basically a list of instructions for what parish churches should do, and it turns up on there i don 't think though it goes as far as some of the continental reformers wanted so somebody like um, Bullinger is very strongly against um, against the use of bells and Bullinger is a very um, important uh, continental theologian who comes over to England during the mid Tudor period so we 're thinking the sort of um, Late uh, 1540s into the 1550s, and is part of that whole sort of group uh, of, of reformers who are coming up with ideas um, to sort of reform the, the Edwardian church. He has very sort of strong views and would sort of would literally get rid of all bells. And instead, what you see is an appropriation of bells. So the Sacring Bell. The same bell turns into the sermon bell. Okay. So the sermon is an important part of yeah. of spreading the message, the word um, under uh, you know during the Reformation. So it's really a sort of change in in function. And then what you find is that under the Elizabethan state, so once once. Um, once Edward has died, Mary comes back. Bells are then used again under Elizabeth. What we see, interestingly, is the secular uses that bells are put to. Yeah. You know, so the kind of you know celebrating the the defeat of the Armada, yeah. celebrating coronations, celebrating yeah. sort of anniversaries. Um, the fifth I mean, of November is also end of plots also, as well. End of plots. The fifth of yeah. November and the defeat of Guy Fawkes and the Gunpowder Plot is also another sort of important mm. thing. So it's all about.
1: Tudor propaganda is what it's all propaganda. about there. And the Reformation yes. and um, ship's time and ship's identities. We've, we've written about that. Top secret, but we have, we've, we've written soon. about bells. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis.
0: And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow us on at Unexpected Pod. We are proud. We are truly proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other
1: extraordinarily fantastic (laughs) shows we um we got all sorts of stuff coming soon our book is nearly done we're we're working on some other stuff uh we got live shows coming in october november and september and and possibly december and possibly december and the yes. website coming soon.
0: Very soon. Very soon. We've we are working on it so hard. We have we have a team. We have a whole team. We have nine or ten <laughs> University of Plymouth <laughs> undergraduate <laughs> interns yep. who are doing brilliant things for
1: us. If you're listening, guys, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, that's it. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.